Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here again and to hear everybody else's uh, incredible stories. Um, I've learned much more about hedgehogs than I knew possible. And um, Ariel's story was just uh, incredible. Um, the origins of patriarchy is possibly one of the biggest topics uh, you can take on as a nonfiction writer. And, um, you know, I'm told that repeatedly. In fact, it's been a few months since my book came out. Um, and there's really a day when I, when someone doesn't email me or say to me, have you heard about this matrilineal community in Africa or Asia? Or how come you didn't mention this historical example? There's just so much there. The evidence is immense. It stretches back right into the mists of time. Um, and of course, all over the world. So I had to be very selective in what I wrote. Um, and always I was serving this basic question, how did men come to rule? How did men come to have so much power? I really wish the answer could be summarized in just a few minutes, because I would do that if I could. But in truth, like all aspects of human life, it's more complicated than that. Um, if there's one thing I've learned writing about human difference over the last decade or so, it's that we never stand still as a species. We're always changing, we're always adapting and moving. And we're always in constant social conflict because every single one of us as individuals has a different idea of what makes an ideal society. You know, we talk about equality as though this is something everyone wants automatically, that this must be something everybody wants. But I'm not entirely sure that that's true. Many people, and in fact, I wonder sometimes if it's most people, actually want for themselves a little bit more power or a little bit more wealth or a little bit more influence or status. We all want a tiny bit more than the people next to us. And this is why every human society isn't perfectly equal. It's a patchwork of all these desires that we have and the particular historical struggles that these individual desires have created. Patriarchy isn't universal. It's certainly not timeless. There is a history that we can paint there. Um, and I want to start just by painting you a bit of that story that I cover in my book. And I'm gonna show you some photos now um, that I took in 2020. Um, one of the first things I did when um, I started researching the patriarchs was um, to travel to Chattelhuyuk. There, was, there were a couple of little windows in 2020 during the pandemic when we were allowed to travel. And as soon as we were, I went uh, to Southern Anatolia to this very ancient settlement. And I apologize here because these photos are going to feel like your parents showing you their holiday snaps. I'm not a very good photographer and they do have a holiday snap quality. I apologize for that in advance. But this site, which you can see me standing in front of, um, was excavated in the 1960s. And when it was, it was described as the first city on Earth. And the reason uh, archaeologists said that was that this is 9,000 years old. So that's 5,000 years before the first pyramids went up in Egypt. It's more than 4,000 years before Stonehenge was built. It predates written language by a very long way. So this is unimaginably old. This is one of the earliest settlements, human settlements that we have evidence from anywhere in the world. Um, and archeologists have tried to recreate the interior here. And you can see this, this is a recreation based on what they found at the site. And you can see that it is recognizable to modern human eyes um, when you're in there you get this sense that um, 
this could this could be a, a modern day home in some societies today. There are kind of you can see there's a hearth where people would have cooked. There are platforms where people would have uh, slept and sat. Um, one of the big differences is is though even though there is a window there, actually there wouldn't have been windows or doors. What happened was there was a hole in the ceiling and a ladder. So the ladder you can see at the back, that is how people would have come in and out of their houses, going through these ladders and kind of conducting their business on the top of houses rather than in between houses, you know, through pavements and roads like we do today. Um, but there was this, these beautiful, um, were these beautiful artworks on the wall as well. You can see here in the next slide, um, I'll show you just really arresting, vivid red frescoes on these beautifully whitewashed walls, showing um, vultures feasting on dead bodies, hunting scenes. Um, you can see that there was possibly a cult of the ancestor here because people's bodies were very carefully buried and handled within their own homes. So they would have been buried in platforms underneath the floors on which they slept. And sometimes their skulls were disinterred and then passed around between each other. Sometimes they were plastered, these skulls, and then moved around. So it's an incredibly culturally and socially complex site in which there were very complex human relations that we can't have much of an insight into because, like I said, this predates written language. So all we have really is the site to go on and what we have left there in terms of archaeological evidence. But what we can know is that women weren't invisible here. Um, there are many countless female figurines that have been found at Chattelhuyuk, this site, but also right across that region. Um, so this is very near the, the Fertile Crescent, um, where some of the world's earliest civilizations flourished. Um, and we see lots of female figurines. And this is one of the most famous. This is um, in one of the museums in Anatolia now. And I was very lucky to see it firsthand. It's an incredibly famous figurine. I'm sure some of you will have seen pictures of it before, but you can see that it depicts what looks to be an older woman, her body possibly weathered by age, because you can see these very deep indentations in her skin and these beautiful rolls of fat kind of spilling out all around her. And then on either side of her outstretched hands, you can see are what look to be um, big cats or leopards looking straight ahead, um, almost as though she had tamed these animals. So here is a woman, her back completely straight, quite an authoritative position that she's maintaining there. And in fact, when the seated woman of Chattelhuyuk was, was discovered, she was described as a goddess. In the 1960s, people thought that this was a representation of a goddess, although modern day archeologists uh, think that perhaps she was a, a real person, that maybe she was an older woman who had, who had been depicted in this way. It's very difficult to say, we, we can't know for sure. But what we do know is that women weren't invisible because there are many more figurines like this. And in fact, every archeological measure we have um, of gender difference. And there are lots of ways in which archaeologists can measure gender difference because we have things like uh, we can look at human remains and understand the wear and tear on the body, the kind of things people ate, whether there was any trauma experienced by that person. Every single measure tells us that men and women at Chattelhuyuk lived very similar lives um, in terms of 
what they ate, they ate very similar foods, the work that they did, they did very similar work. They spent around the same amount of time indoors and outdoors. They were buried in very similar ways, which is a big indicator of social inequality because high status people, especially in sites like this, where there may have been a cult of the ancestor, high status people tend to get buried in more elaborate ways. And what we see is that's not the case, that men and women are buried very similarly. If there is one difference, uh, this is what the archaeologist Ian Hodder told me, it's that the women tended to be buried with a few more beads than the men tended to be buried with. But in every respect, and this is what the lead archaeologist there told me, um, this was a site in which gender just didn't matter very much, which leaves us with a very big question. If this is what it was like 9,000 years ago, if gender didn't matter very much to people 9,000 years ago, at least in this region of the world, and certainly we don't have very much evidence in the rest of the world that gender was a huge impact on how people lived, then when and why did things change? Why did things become more patriarchal later on? And we know that they did in this region. This is modern day Turkey now that we're talking about. So spanning Asia, Africa, Middle East, this entire region, we know that things change. We know that by antiquity, for instance, people were living very different lives. You look at ancient Athens, and here is a society that's deeply misogynistic, in which the literature itself betrays this huge um, suspicion of women, a fear of women, and a hatred in some cases. Now, it's sometimes assumed that the big turning point between the Neolithic, when this is, and antiquity, could have been agriculture, because agriculture requires body strength, and it's also when people started to um, accumulate property. And property was important, um, according to some theorists, because this was when men started to want to make sure that their property would be passed on to their legitimate heirs and not to anybody else. So they were very protective over women's sexuality from that point on. But actually, it's long after the development of agriculture that we start to see rules and laws restricting the lives and freedoms of women. And in fact, women everywhere have been involved in agriculture and done heavy manual ag agricultural work right throughout the history of time, and they still do. Where we, and I'll stop sharing now, where we really start to see the big signs of gender depression um, are, is with the development of the earliest states. So when the world's first states emerged in regions like ancient Mesopotamia, the biggest challenge they faced was population, how to keep large numbers of people within their borders and not have them leave and run away because they could have. They could have gone and uh, went and been hunter gatherers or done something else. How do they keep them within the state producing a surplus for those elites at the top? And that drove an interest in the family inexorably. You, you can imagine that if you care about population, you have to care what happens in the family. And that led to a state preoccupation with birth rates and with defense. How do we keep people having enough children? And how do we make sure that families are loyal enough to give up their children to fight and defend the state if they need to, sometimes give up their lives to the state if necessary? And we still see that now. That's still a feature of modern states. Anywhere in the world, whenever birth rates start to fall, states get nervous, governments get nervous. Um, you can see this in China today, um, 
even though the one child policy has been lifted, there is still this nervousness in the state that women still aren't having enough children. You can see it here in the United States, arguably, over the tussle over reproductive rights. That's possibly a byproduct of this concern that populations might fall. None of this happened in a sudden sweeping way. It wasn't as though the state appeared and then everything changed. It happened gradually over thousands of years that these two print twin preoccupations of birth rates and defense came to define the patriarchal state and the way that laws were organized around it, the way that religions and the establishment of religion bought into this idea of the patriarchal state. And that really, I would argue, and I do argue in my book, that is how the first patriarchal states first emerged. This history is a reminder that human oppression of all kinds, including gender depression, is something that was invented and developed. And I would argue we can still see it now. It's still being reinvented and reasserted in the present. Thank you.